When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Miami Nice. I am your co-host, Blake Howard. Yes, I got my tan here in Miami. My lovely co-host, Katie Walsh, who is a film critic at the Tribune News Service and the LA Times, joins me again. Hello, Katie. Hi, Blake. Good to see you again. So oh, excited to be here talking about this movie. It's so good. It's, it's the 15th anniversary of Mammy Vice in the last couple of weeks. So we've got an absolute murderer's row lineup of people who are either scrolling through the channels on Nicholas's TV, criticizing how messed up his kitchen is, or staring blankly off into the sublime blue ocean. And one of those people is the person who can say this. This is the only person who can say this on the internet. Their Twitter handle is Miami Vice 2006. It it is one of our favorites on all things One Eight Minute Production. She's a writer and a film critic at Film School Rejects, and she's just awesome. Anna Swanson, welcome to Miami Nice. It feels finally like it feels like a good time to have you here already. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. This is very exciting, and yeah, this is definitely my kind of my my latest very deep dive obsession. Um, <laughs> but I'm sure we're going to talk more about that. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to being here. I just need to know the, the I, I've been dying to ask about the Twitter handle <laughs> and so, how that came about. So I, it was kind of like in this period where I was like applying for jobs and it's weird because it's one of those things where I think being a writer or a critic, you kind of have to have a Twitter presence because it helps you get work in that regard. But it also makes you look a little bit strange to, when you're applying for jobs in like the normal real world. So yes. I kind of was in this, this phase where I was like applying for a lot of jobs and trying to not be a red flag on social media in case any recruiters Google me. So I was like, okay, I should not have my full name on Twitter <laughs> just in case. And then I was kind of like, okay, what if I just like, and I realized the handle was available and I was, you know, in that sort of phase where I think I had watched the movie like three times in the last month. And I was like, you know what, why not just like use this? I was kind of looking for something and it just kind of came about. Um, I mean, Blake, as, as you know, and as we discussed, I tend to go kind of deep dive into my obsessive movies and Miami Vice is kind of the movie of the year for me. Um, even though it's 15 years old, it's my movie of 2021. So, um, I, yeah, I, it kind of just like fortuitously came about. It was not with the intention of like being on the show. It just kind of was something where I was like looking for a different Twitter handle um, so that I could be employable and people would not. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, and and, all, like, and also you know, for your friends, for your friends like me, I lost you. And I'm like, where's Anna? I was trying to search you on Twitter. I'm like, where's Anna? Yeah. And I'm like, where did she go? And then I obviously then I immediately saw that it was Miami, Miami Vice 2006. And I was like, oh, that's... That's so Anna. That's good. Yeah. I'm glad that this, I'm glad that this, I, I didn't think it was lobbying to be on the show, but guess what? It helps. Anna. It, it helps, it worked, helps yeah. narrow it down. It worked. It works. It works. Definitely. Yeah. No, my, I feel like my, my running joke for the last like six months or so is that you can tell when I've applied to a lot of jobs because my Twitter goes private. <laughs> like That's how you can kind of figure out what's going on in my life. But yeah. 15 years, obviously anniversary pieces. 
some people begrudge them, but I kind of like, I'm, I'm with Matt. I think Matt Zolzites wrote a great piece of like, if, if anniversary pieces are how we get really great and thoughtful criticism and reappraisal or discussion of movies in the past, if that's the way that it happens, who gives a crap? Like let, let it keep happening and let us like have as many of these pieces. But can I say you would have had this earmarked from like, what, January 1st or December 31st last year that this was coming up and that you were the person that was going to be writing it for Film School Rejects. Is that how it worked? Yeah, I definitely have like a Google Doc with pitches where I kind of just like, I'm like, oh, I, oh okay, 2006. All right, so that's coming up. And then, yeah, I probably put this pitch in uh, maybe like a month or two ago. Uh, just kind of like getting dibs there, you know? And like, yeah. I, I totally agree. I think anniversary pieces are great. I think it's a great opportunity to kind of bring up something interesting. Um, and, you know, I mean, I think there's a dumb way to do it where it's kind of like this movie hasn't aged well and here are all the reasons why. <laughs> but I think if you actually kind of have some insight about looking at something in retrospect or, you know, what it meant at the time, I think that can be um, really great. And I also think it's just for writers, it's a great opportunity to maybe get some eyes on something that you love where ordinarily, you know, the movies that kind of get attention or get clicks or kind of like the new stuff coming out and just like in general I I'm just kind of the personality where like I'd rather just watch and write about the movie from 20 years ago that I love than like have to go see Jungle Cruise opening night in order to like have something to pitch about you know this this is this is what I praise Katie about all the time I'm like I'm like I don't know how you do it like I'm stuck in 2007 or like back in 2006 with this and I'm like that's where I live, you know, in those times. And I watch her have to review all these movies and I'm like, <laughs> I admire you. I admire It's you. for sure like a skill that a skill set that you develop from just doing it day in and day mm-hmm. out. But it is interesting talking about anniversary pieces, especially with this movie and the way that it's been reappraised in the past couple of years, even since we've started doing this podcast, like more and more people are yeah. discovering it and appreciating it and talking about it and like, you know, in my line of work, when it's just like, uh, Jungle Cruise, whatever, lame. Spice it's like, Jam. you know, it's just like in, out kind of thing. I know, Yeah, I mean, in 15 years, there's going to be somebody writing like critics were too harsh on Space Jam too. I guarantee you. But, you know, I also think it's interesting, like you were saying, you know, instead of doing the, well, this hasn't aged well, or everybody loves this and I hate it. Like my whole vibe right now on Twitter, and maybe it doesn't always come across that way, but I'm like, I'm only doing positive hot takes. I'm not doing any negative hot takes. Like my hot takes will be like, I love this thing that's dumb or whatever, or, you know, other people have said is dumb. And so I think that I really appreciate when you write it, when someone writes a piece like the one that you wrote, that's like, Let's take this thing that everybody gave bad reviews to back in 2006 because they were like salty or tired or had like never seen digital photography look like this before. And let's like unpack what it's actually doing Mm -hmm. and analyze like how it fits into the realm. And I do think that the way film criticism works, it's like we have so little time to really develop and think about things. And it's usually just like a one viewing and then you have to go write the review and like, I think that movies require a lot more time and thoughtfulness and, mm-hmm. and effort than just that. But um, such is the life of the weekly film critic. <laughs> yeah, no, and um, I've, I've definitely had that of just, you know, kind of looking back on stuff I've written where there was kind of like a time crunch. And I was like, you know what? I probably could have like, you know, had more to say here. I could have gone a little bit more in depth, but I think it's just kind of 
it is what it is. We do what we can. Yeah. You do what you can. Not every movie is a minute by minute podcast. Like that's, uh, you know, or, 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 or a month or a monthly like constant revisitation to something that we really love. And like, you know, enlisting people like your great self, Anna, who love this movie to kind of like give us their take on it, give us their angle. Because I think you're exactly right. There's so few critics um, who get the luxury to ruminate. You know, it's yeah. hard. Like uh, that, there's that great Anthony Lane quote is like, I have to write about the movie the day it comes out or 10 years later. And I really, I, I genuinely really love that because it's like 10, you know, 10 years as a minimum feels like a, that's a really good way to even decide whether you want to keep talking about the thing, you know, yeah. uh, you know, and, uh, um, and I just and want to clarify, you're not planning space jam two minute by minute. No, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely. Oh my not. God. Uh, like you would, that would send you straight into the insane asylum. No, that, I literally had to write a review about it. Uh, I was—it was one of my rare commissions. I still—I I still dabble. Very, I'm very lucky to work with Garth Franklin at Dark Horizons as a sort of a col- columnist and reviewer now and then. And uh, I, that was one of my assignments. And I watched it, and I was like, "Oh God, thank you for this." <laughs> and it was just like, "I'm sorry, man. I really want to see what you had to say." <laughs> He's and, like, uh, you could do this justice. And I'm like, this is really one of the meanest pieces of pop culture I've ever seen where they just like Warner Brothers trots out all of the films that they've abandoned or that they're hiding in their vaults or or that they've, you know, abused filmmakers and withheld money from things. And they're just going, hey, look what we can do with your IP. Um, that's not what Miami Vice is. No. Miami Vice is a special movie. And I remember walking out and I, I think what's so, this is about that weekly critic vibe or audience vibe. I remember walking out and Colin Farrell was, he's still like the hot guy in Hollywood, of course, like 20 years later, mm-hmm. miraculously. But um, I remember people at the time being like, I hate his haircut and his moustache. Like that was about the conversation when I walked out, but I'm loving, I love so much reading your stuff and you know, the digital landscape uh, uh, piece that you did recently for film school rejects. And so can, as someone who's ruminating over this film this year and this year, this is your movie. I'd love to talk to you about like ha- how it how it consumed you. What was the most recent? Mm-hmm. Not 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 the first time that you watched it, but I really want to get that. I know you've been an uh, inherent vice head and a zodiac head in the past, and that's where both of the times we've spoken to you before. But I really want to know like what when did this movie break through and you were like, oh, this is this is my new thing. This is actually a good story because it happened this year. So Miami Vice, I definitely. I wouldn't have seen this in theaters, but like growing up, my mom loves Colin Farrell. She's Irish. So it's kind of, you know, he's, he's part of the family and like, I love him. Like seven-year-old me thought I was going to marry him. 27-year-old me kind of thinks I might still marry him. You know, like he's just, <laughs> he's the best. I love him. Um, but so I definitely was kind of like aware of Colin Farrell as an actor. And this came out, and I think my mom went to see it and really liked it. Um, so she was, she was ahead of the curve. She was ahead of the critics. Um, and then I think I don't really remember, but I'm guessing we must have rented it when it came out. And I saw it then and probably didn't really take it in or know what was going on or care about it that much. And then it was kind of one of those things that, you know, maybe a couple times over the years, like it'd be on Netflix and I just kind of watch it and like, you know, mostly like for Colin Farrell. And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't my favorite. Like it wasn't kind of my, anything that I really thought was that miraculous or that interesting. It was just kind of like a movie to watch. And then a couple of years ago, I want to say like 2019, the end of 2018, a uh, theater here did a, a retrospective screening of it. And I saw it on the big screen for the first time. And I was like, you know what? This is kind of better than I think people give it credit for. Like, it's always kind of talked about as like not as good. I think um, for myself and I think for a lot of people, 
Miami Vice and Collateral kind of get lumped in to a very similar mm. time. You know, like they came out within a couple of years of each other. They both sort of have that like digital look. Um, and I think the kind of consensus, or at least what I thought at the time was, you know, they're kind of similar, but I prefer Collateral. And mm. then I saw it again. I was like, you know what? This actually like, I kind of like this one. I kind of see what people are saying. You know, the the revisionists who are like, actually Miami Vice is great. I'm like, all right, you know what? They have a point. Um, and then I don't know why, but for some reason in January of this year, I think I saw that it was streaming somewhere and I was just like, let's watch this. It's been a couple of years. I remember liking it. Like I got nothing else to do. We're still <laughs> in the middle of a pandemic. Like I was just kind of like talking to my roommate and I was like, would you mind if I just like put this on and watching it again? I felt like my third eye opened. Like I ah. <laughs> was like, this is like, this is perfect. And I don't know what clicked for me this time, but it just really, I was like, even though I liked it in the past, I was still kind of underrating it. And I think just, I don't know, maybe after a year of just like watching things at home, like something that I just felt was so enrapturing. I was like, oh, I, I love this movie. And um, as I want to do, as we've discussed, you know, when I love something, I want to share it. <laughs> so naturally at this point, I'm like talking to everyone I know. And I'm like, hey, like if you watch Miami Vice recently, it's great. And I think uh, for my for my birthday, actually, I was talking to my boyfriend. I was like, we're going to watch this and you're going to like it. Um, and that was like the plan. And so it's I think I've watched it now like five times this year. It's just kind of one of those things that I'm just uh. I've just really it's it's become such a thing for me this year. And I just think it's so brilliant i feel like i wasted all those years kind of underrating it when i could have been watching it but, but now you get to have this amazing experience of like yeah. falling in love with it this year wait yeah. i just have one question yeah what theater was having a retrospective screening of my uh, i know is that oh. tiff yeah yeah at, at, at tiff they're, they they have their like regular year of retrospective oh. screenings and it was on 35 um oh. and i think it was like i want to say it was like it was i want to say the winter of 2019 like maybe january february that year um but they were just like doing a screening and i definitely like tiff is pretty good about retrospective programming like we kind of just have stuff running all year um and often some really good stuff so yeah i saw it and it was just one of those things where i was like I remember I almost even didn't go because I was like, yeah, like for her fine, I'll go. And it was just kind of like a thing to do, like, you know, back right. back when you could just go to the movies whenever and you didn't have to worry about COVID. Um, it was just like, yeah, sure, I'll go see this. Why not? Like, and yeah, it was great. Oh my God. That's so wonderful. And I'm insanely jealous that you saw it. But I think that that's like repertory screenings now. Like when I, um, I tell this story a few times, but it's like when I left the first, like when COVID first broke, like or a pandemic sort of broke in Sydney for the first time and they mm -hmm. opened up a few things. I went to the movies and I saw Predator, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Jaws and Heat on the big screen. And then I saw oh Tenet and people were like, did you like Tenet? I'm like, no. <laughs> I just, I mean, I'm sorry. I was fine. I, I, I but You're I just like, I just saw five of the most perfect movies <laughs> ever made. Saw, I just saw, yeah. I just saw like, some of my favorite movies of all time on the big screen and I was complete like on various things like Jaws was on 70 mil and so was 2001 Space Odyssey and Predator was in the new 4k release and I was just like I don't movies you know and Heat was the 4k restoration I'm like movies are awesome and Tenet's fine mm -hmm. like okay yeah. Like, yeah and so I'm, I'm jealous that you saw Miami Vice so yeah. let's let's dive in let's dive into I guess now Anyone who listens to Katie and I talk about it, we've we've probably gone on our own journey in this show about the things that are really resonating with us at the time. 
And like my current, I guess, uh, um, my current thing that's really resonating with me is just John Ortiz because I was lucky enough on Zodiac Chronicle to talk about, uh, you know, talk about talk to a great character actor in John Carroll Lynch, and he gushed effusively about about John Ortiz. He's like, I literally saw John Ortiz in movies, and I was like, who the fuck is that guy? He's so good, and he's like, I went to IMDb and I said John Ortiz, it's John Ortiz, it's John Ortiz, it's John Ortiz, <laughs> and and he. So I've now like my latest viewing of my vice in preparation to talk to you guys is he's been like a John Ortiz just unpacking in my head. So like how, where, where are you at in these five things? What are the things that are really now like your scenes, your moments, your, the things that are like that, those third eye opening moments for you? Um, definitely the, the, the boat to Cuba. just like watching that like i there's something about it i don't know if it's the music the way it's filmed just like the fact that it's two of the most beautiful people in the world acting on screen but it yeah. just feels like the world is beautiful and everything is possible and also terribly sad and <laughs> i don't know it's just it, that scene always gets me all the stuff in cuba the like you know do you dance i dance all that stuff just like i find their relationship to be such a such a crux of i think what brings me back to this movie like just how I just find it so sad every time it really gets me. And I, I yeah, just, I get, I'm probably going to talk about Colin Farrell a lot, but I just think he's so good in this. And I think what, what, what I find so interesting is that I know he said in like interview since that he kind of didn't love the movie. And like, I think he said that he thought the mustache was a, was a mistake. It's like, Colin, <laughs> I love you, but that's wrong. Like absolutely not. <laughs> no. Justice for the handlebar. Yeah. And I, I think it's early so good. Days of this podcast, I read a haiku about the handlebar. <laughs> I did. That's amazing. Um, but yeah, and like the hair and stuff. And I think it's so good because it it's it feels so clear that they're not necessarily trying to make him look his best. Mm. And that's kind of what makes him look so good. 
is that like he has a little bit of that like grunginess to him I don't know I think it really works and I think he's just he's so good in this and I think he has this like really interesting ineffable kind of feminine energy to him that like not a lot of actors do and it's not like something that I can kind of describe but it just kind of I don't know I think it's just in his eyes he just has these like puppy dog eyes. Yeah. I, you know, the thing about he looks grungy, like you can practically smell him. Yes. Like, yes. Sweat and his natural musk and some nasty cologne from 2000. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> but and- it's like the kind of thing that you would like get a whiff of and like it'd be like, instant horny juice like yeah. the pheromones would go insane <laughs> and, and we have heard that there it's are like pa- axe body spray and lime <laughs> it's it's also the fact that we've we've actually revealed on the show that we've got uh some, some mail from listeners talking about there are paparazzi photos of Colin Farrell at this time partying with Diego Maradona and it's just like that energy yeah is so chaotic in this guy. But I think you touch on something, Anna, about that scene because Mm. there's two things that happen in my mind as I keep watching this. There's Sonny looking out that window in that apartment with Nicholas and the guys, like looking for something. And we Mm -hmm. kind of don't know what it is, whether it's meaning, whether it's purpose, whether it's something beyond, whether it's like, you know, in in the parlance of heat, you know, that the, the action is the juice, whether it's just there's some level of like whether he... He needs to hit it in this undercover, um, in his undercover profession that he's just not touching. But then when he, when he, when lightning strikes with Isabella, you kind of, what's so great and unpredictable is you don't know whether it's just that impulse for self-destruction or whether it's genuine Mm. and she, and Gong Li is both or it's both. Right. And that's the great thing. It could be both. Mm -hmm. And then you get Gong Li who, who is so glacially perfect that you don't actually believe that she's necessarily doing it for any other reason other than like, oh, there's a there's a play to be made here, right? As she as she discusses with um, Montoya, and what's so great about those Cuba scenes, which I think you're focusing on in that boat ride, is there's more than that. It's there's there's something happening underneath that's undeniable. Like all their acting, his acting as an undercover cop, and the layers of that, and and maybe going too far, and her acting as like, oh, this there's a play in here for me. When you get to that underneath bit, do you dance? I dance and the it starts on the dance floor. As soon as that starts happening, it's like, holy shit. Like, I don't think either of them have any idea. They, they have no clue that this was going to mean as much or that they were going to let each other in. And I think mm-hmm. that that's something that I think about. And I think your, your piece, and I think you talking to you about it, it starts to like really drum that up for me is, is there's just something about those two when they, you put them on screen together that's just and even in the this beautiful Tashen book on Michael Mann and even in that book there's the behind the scene photographs he took I think it's in Haiti where they took the photos that are meant to, oh no he actually took them in Havana because he snuck them into Cuba and then they shot the film in Haiti but there's original photographs of just those two in stills and it's like their hotness and chemistry is just freaking undeniable from minute one mm-hmm. yeah I know it's like I've been thinking a lot about screen chemistry because mm. I really speaking of Jungle Cruise I really did not think uh the rock and Emily Blunt had chemistry but then I saw Green Knight and I was like okay Dev and Alicia I ship it but like it's <laughs> that um you know it, it's like that thing with Gong Li and Colin where you're like there's this urgency and this tension that you're just like, I, that you like, it kind of drives you mad as a viewer. 
Um, but yeah, their chemistry is undeniable. I have a I have a question for my my man experts. Mm. Um, so like all these man Michael Mann heroes are constantly sort of like dreaming of tropical paradises, right? Mm. Like Jamie Foxx and Collateral, and isn't um, Neil also sort of like dreaming of some like island? Is he? Yeah, he's talking about iridescent algae in Fiji and traveling to New Zealand. Yeah, there's a lot of escapes that are uh, right. They're, they're all, there's like this constant dream of like water, like looking out at water, like mm. dreaming of this escape, and it's like Sunny's like the only one that kind of achieves that. For a brief moment for, in time. For, yeah, there's the actual tactile experience of that island yeah. hopping paradise. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. You're like spot he, on. I'm just wondering if he's the only Michael Mann hero who like actually sort of like touches that in a in a way. Um yeah. and, and the sadness is like it's it you know, I, I think that moment like where they're in the house on the beach, like I think I've said this before on the podcast, like it really feels like a real relationship getaway that you would have like, a, a, you know, a sexy weekend getaway and it feels palpable and real. And so there's something about the fact that it goes away or it doesn't last. That's like part of the tragedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now that you mentioned that, I never would have thought to connect these things, but I think, um, Manhunter a little bit. There's kind of the idea that Will kind of gets his, his beach house and he gets out and then he's pulled back in. And so yes. I think he kind of gets that, but I think there's this idea that there's always going to be something pulling him back into the job. And, you know, when he ends on the beach with his family and the driftwood and all of that, that's not lasting. That's never going to be there forever. There's always going to be something. And I think same here, you know, it's a, it's a, it's like that brief getaway. And I think even it's interesting that it's, it's Cuba where he kind of says, you know, Cubans don't like my passport. Like I'm not <laughs> supposed to be here, like in a very concrete material way he understands that this space is not for him. Yeah, and it's, it's you know, forbidden of on like many it, levels. Yeah, yeah, and, like yeah. And, and it can be as, yeah, it can be <laughs> as explicit. Yeah, it can be as explicit as my they don't like my passport, but it's also like they don't like your identity, man. Like you, you yeah. don't. You're like this. This is a fake Sonny Crockett that's sitting here. You know, this is not real. It's as real as he's ever going to be with you're someone else. You're not made else, for this space. But yeah. you're not made for here. Yeah, no, and I, I love what you said about Will Graham because it's like literally as soon as, you know, the, the the fatalism of Will Graham, like not getting that island space to keep his relaxation is seeing Dennis Farina in a suit. Like you see Farina mm-hmm. in that suit straight away and you're like, something's wrong. They're just on a piece, the piece of wood. It's like he's being dragged back. Like he's going to get, he's yeah. going to get the rake. He's going to get the rake right out of there. Um, but yeah, no, it's so it's so fascinating that 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 little that sequence and it, it, just everything about it just completely just turns it on its head beautifully. One thing I love about your piece, Anna, is the way you talk about the digital photography and like how it captures movement mm-hmm. um, and that it's not something that you can easily sort of like screenshot and be like, look at this perfect composition or whatever, you know, one perfect shot and like. I, I love that because I hadn't thought about that before. And I think one, one of the things that draws me into this film obviously is like the vibe and it's like, how do you describe the vibe? And for me, it's like, there's, it's obviously looks cool, but there's also like this roiling danger underneath kind of going on. And, and I think that the way that you describe some of the, um, digital photography and the way that works, uh, really, uh, sort of illuminated that for me when I was reading your piece. 
Yeah, no, that's so nice for you to say. Um, but yeah, I think definitely like being at Film School Rejects and kind of being tied to one perfect shot. Um, I'm, I'm kind of always on the lookout when I watch new movies, just thinking, you know, could that be like a good shot? And I think that, I think it's interesting how when you talk about cinematography, everyone kind of has a little bit of a different idea of what makes something good or perfect, quote unquote. Um, and I think, you know, it, it could be just a still image that is very beautiful. And that's sort of like every frame of painting type idea where it's just like, you have this shot that you can screen save and print it out and put it on your wall and it'll look beautiful. And like that to me is like a movie like um, Assassination of Jesse James where like there are shots in that movie where I'm just like, I'll put this on my wall happily. <laughs> and, you know, and then there are other movies and I think, you know, one is not better or worse than the other, but then there's something like this where I don't really know how to grab a screenshot of this. I don't know how to take a singular image from Miami Vice because it just doesn't work. It's Nothing. so true. It's you can't, I, you can't get a single <laughs> screenshot of it that looks good. And it's so tough to kind of explain to people because I'm like, I, you know, I want to be able to sort of like have that. And I think, you know, something like um like Thief, for example, I think has some lovely sort of imagery got where like you're just 30, like, 30 stills where it's like here's yeah. a composition, people looking out at the water, like Frank appraising what we're in the middle of the heist, you know, that 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 sensational night shot that I feel like has been Priscilla Page's banner for like 10 years. Yeah, of like the car dealership. The, ca the car yeah. dealership with the neon, you know, that that great stuff. But no, it's so funny because I, I actually recently just watched uh, LA Confidential as well, which is, uh, you know, Dante Spinotti. So I'm one of our man guys is the cinematographer and Curtis Hansen's the director. And there are some like amazing still shots that happen in there, but Curtis Hansen's impulse, there are so many like the camera's always pushing in. It's like creating these compositions, but then it like pushes in. And I was just thinking that same thing when I was watching something like LA Confidential. It has these stills, but then there's other shots of like Lynn Bracken and Bud. So like, you know, Kim Basinger and Russell Crowe like kissing and like every shot is like a push in or it's like sweeping in. I'm like, this is actually hard to go. Where would you do the shot? Do you do it at the beginning or do you do it at the end where you like got this intimacy? And, and I mm -hmm. feel like that's like that, that weird kind of tactile sort of intimate swirling cameras around that this movie does on like constant pace. I even think on the top of other than that, you know, that streaming, you know, bullet like boat shot from that that's happening in the sky. Um, I think about that other shot, series of shots where they're all in the boat debriefing about how they're going to do this next take. And it goes like, it's Fox. It's, it's like Elizabeth Rodriguez. It's, ju it's Justin Theroux. Then it's back to Farrell. Like the camera is like firing around at that setup and it it's hard to orient yourself and ever go, oh, then no, here's a perfect shot of Jamie Foxx in the water, you know, because it's just so dynamic. Yeah, this there's is, even, there's the great shot of, sorry, there's a great oh, shot good. of like the plane going through the sky. I love that shot. Yeah. Yes. And like, what, do I take a screenshot of that? It just looks like a plane. <laughs> like it's not <laughs> special until you see it in mo in movement. Yeah. And then when you see it, see the fluidity of it, it's like, oh my God, this is beautiful. But like, you can't kind of boil that down into one image, which is, I mean, again, like, I don't think it's necessarily better or worse than movies where you kind of have those like clean shots that you can kind of say this singular thing is, is a beautiful example of cinematography. But I think in a lot of ways, it's so indicative of kind of man's approach in recent years of just, this is such a singularly cinematic thing where you can't, it can't exist as a still image. It just can't. Um, and I, and I think that's tough. And I think that kind of is difficult to kind of you know, put that next to a lot of ideas of what makes cinematography good. And I think especially, you know, when you, when you discuss it, you can't really like have, uh, 
like movements you can't show a whole movie if you want to show someone what makes good cinematography often like you look up you know examples of good cinematography you're going to see like a still image and i don't know it's tough it's it's a very thorny thing but anyway the point is i think this movie is beautiful (laughs) yeah i i I think it's a good example like this conversation is a good example of like illustrating like cinematography is not just creating perfect compositions like Mm. the when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The thing that was drilled into me in undergrad was like the style of the film like has to serve the story that you're telling. And I think that this is just such a good example of that because we're in 2006 Miami. We're going undercover. We're using little cell phones. We're taking videos. We're surveilling people like it should have that kind of grimy, lo-fi um you know, vibe to it. Like it shouldn't like at night, it should be kind of like dark and sketchy looking. Like, I think it, it fits the themes of the film, um, really well. And the other thing I was going to say about, like, I am always looking for stills of this movie or like gifts to (laughs) promote the show or like reply to people with or something. There's like no gifts of this movie. And it might be because it's like not popular enough to have a lot of people making gifts of it, but I'm like, I don't want to use the same gif every time. I want a different one. I was even looking for, a picture of Dominic Lombardozzi yesterday, and I couldn't find any good one. No, there's not. It's. I mean, I think that might have to be part of the show. I think. I think we're gonna have to. I'm gonna have to learn how to make gifts and I like know. just and and turn this whole show into in, into this whole film into, into a, gifts because it's driving me like insane. Outsource finding it. it to someone. Yeah. yeah. So, someone listening, please get in touch. Mail at oneheatminute.com for Katie and I. If you know how to make rad gifts, um, please get in touch because we need your well, help. Like, I'm gonna get Meg. To I'm gonna get Meg to do this. Oh, Meg Shields, bless her heart. She's the best but i wanted to talk to you guys about something really quick because uh, it just reminded me is um a, a brief digression on manhunter so there were there was a f- uh, recent rewatchables on manhunter um with the with the guys at, at the ringer and then quentin tarantino popped up as he occasionally does to do another rewatchables podcast which is great um him popping in on the show to have a chat oh, i think it was around the release of the once upon a time in hollywood book and he smashed Bill Simmons's hot take that uh, Will Graham was miscast. Will William Peterson being he was he, and he was just like that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. William William Peterson struggled to get out of that because all filmmakers and people watched him in that movie Manhunter and you know did the double feature basically of um, to live to die in L A to live and die in L A and then and Manhunter back to back and almost couldn't get out of it and so was actually lured back eventually into CSI and the new CSI as well um, to play that kind of like investigative, you know, intuitive, empathetic character. And I think that Manhunter is such an incredibly influential film that influenced a whole bunch of other genres all the way up into all sorts of crime genre films. And I also feel like Miami Vice is an equivalent in that at the time, the critical praise was very tempered and then it took a little while and, you know, some people like the, you know, the incredible Manola Dargis and stuff like that to put it on their year end lists and things like that. to people go, wait, is this actually a thing? And, and now it's coming around. Um, but I think this, I feel like I see the techniques of Miami Vice 
in so many contemporary films and shows. And even as recent as there's a great Amazon Prime series called Zero 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 with a, a, one of the executive producers is a director called Stefan Solima, who is an Italian director who's uh, directed that oh, without, yeah. without, without remorse with uh, Michael B. Jordan yeah, yeah, and yeah. things like that. And he did the second Sicario. But I think of, I see those movies and I'm like, I see Miami Vice techniques or like yeah. stylistic kind of flourishes. And I'm like, even if the even if uh, even if uh, critics didn't like it at the time, and it took a while for fans to warm up, I feel like directors and filmmakers at the time were like, "Shit, that's awesome!" And I'm gonna yeah. do that so many times. So I was just wondering, Anna, because I know that you and all, the whole gang at Film School Rejects are so like you know such cinephiles. But like, is there movies that after you've now had that third eye open to Miami Vice that you're like you feel like Miami Vice fingerprints are on it in in your recent watching? That is such a good question. I'm trying to think. Um, Sorry to spring this on you, but I just, no, you guys, no, you guys got me thinking good, about it. My Manhunter and Miami yeah. Vice. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think definitely I see a lot with Miami Vice and Manhunter, which I think coincidentally are my, like my two favorite mans. So, you know, definitely there's a lot there. Um, also just speaking of William Peterson, it's just wild to me, the idea that like giving great performances in two of the best movies of all time <laughs> can hurt your career. Like what, the, what is yeah. wrong with the world? Yeah. yeah. Um, God, I see it's tough because like I'm sure there are, but now that I'm like on the spot, I can't think of any. And I'm also probably like in my mind, I'm like, well, they're not as good as Miami Vice, so they don't they don't matter. <laughs> but no, I think definitely, I think that there's. I mean, I I think in a lot of ways, I want to say I wish there was more like that because mm-hmm. I think what I find so interesting about Miami Vice, and I, I kind of wrote about this, but it's it's digital, but it's not trying to look like film. And I think that so many movies kind of do digital and try to look like film, which is fine. There's a lot of great movies that do that. That's, you know, do your thing. But I wish there was a little bit more of an interest in movies that use digital and don't try to replicate that look or don't try to fit into this kind of binary idea of like, what makes a film look good? Um, yes. Which again, kind of, I think goes into the idea of like, what makes cinematography good? Like, you know, so many beautiful shots in the film. If you if you try and boil them down to one thing or you try and make them, I mean, if this movie had tried to look like film, I don't think it would be what it is. No, I agree. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to think. I'm sure the second we stop recording this, I, like <laughs> a perfect example is going to spring to my well, mind, and I'm well, going to be like, oh, this. Well, if it ha- if it happens, Anna, we can quickly call, and I'll we'll just make a pause right now. <laughs> we'll, just, we'll, cho- we'll chop we'll it in very artfully and edit yeah. it, edit it in. Are there any you have in mind? Um, I, I now it's it's more of like an approach. It's it, because Miami Vice was one of the first times that I ever saw the idea of international, like truly international criminal operations that work seamlessly across borders. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. and I feel like since then I've heard about, I've heard the phrase Aryan brotherhood and like international drug shipping in like 30 movies. But I remember seeing Miami Vice and being like, yeah. oh, crime's not just like mafia that stop locally or domestically. It is about an international network that relies on bribing multiple government agencies, multiple police agencies. And the, the whole concept that like, inherently through crime. And I think I see it even on like a, a micro scale in something like recently, no sudden move with um, Soderbergh's movie about this whole idea that there are huge corporate entities that have an interest in low level crime because it gives them money. And if they lose money, they're going to make it back. And that people that do their slights will just die. 
And it's, it's a kind of a cynical, almost like Sydney Lumet, like network level of like cynicism of like corporate crime and things yeah. like that that happened so long ago. But it feels like man here is bridging the gaps between those those thoughts of like, no, it's an international conspir- criminal conspiracy and things like that. And a lot of people have since said with like both Black Adam and Miami Vice, you know, there was a great... Um, a great book that actually came out under the Michael Mann books banner called like Hunting LaRue, which is about a real hacker figure that had, was hiring mercenaries to run oh, yeah. guns internationally, was maybe going to be a movie. I listened to that book. It's a great book. It's, it's a, a great, great book. Great book. And it feels like yeah. a Michael Mann movie that you listen to yeah. or you read. It's amazing. But they were, they were just like, oh, you know, did you hear about LaRue and use some elements when you were making Miami Vice and when you were making um, Black Hat? And it was like, no, we were just doing research and hearing about these figures who were like hacking things, counterintelligence. So I, for me, that language, and, and I could I could totally be proven wrong. I'm happy for you guys to email us if there are other examples, but I feel like the way that Michael Mann did it in Miami Vice has then since permeated. Like you can't have a cool criminal conspiracy unless it's a international conspiracy with uh, kingpins <laughs> that operate in you know these shadow countries and moving money offshore and you know satellite technology i yeah there's too many to count for me probably yeah i think you're kind of a, uh totally correct and I, I i always think this movie feels so modern in its yes. storyline and it in its storytelling um for being so grounded in what feels like really real details. I mean, even like the drug cartel stuff, like Sicario, both mm. of the Sicario movies, like just all that stuff. I don't, I don't feel like the movies in 2006 were really talking about criminal organizations, like international criminal organizations, like you said. Yeah. Um, and, but like, obviously man is such a detail oriented filmmaker and such a research oriented filmmaker that obviously he was going to be like, I know everything about how these <laughs> cartels work. And it's, it's an interesting contrast to the show, which there was a great thread on Twitter today where someone did all these, um, guest stars from the Miami the Vice show. Did you see that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I started g- looking at it a little bit earlier, but it's I was doing so else's. long. Yeah. But it's hilarious, but it's like John Turturro played a pimp and like Willie Nelson (laughs) played a, you know, whatever, a bad guy. But it's like very cartoonish and like, you know, obviously within the frame of an episodic show, it's like, oh, Pash Pow, we're going to get the bad guy today. And then, you know, and then they all go have a mojito or whatever it is they do. I actually (laughs) haven't really watched the TV show at all, but (laughs) that's what it seems like to me. (laughs) Like, it's like. We catch the bad guy every week, but this is like turning it, you know, yeah, even the Aryan Brotherhood tying those guys in, like the informants, like it all feels really grounded and real. And I think that films after that, after this, like started going for that, especially in that like 2007 era, like mm. mid 2000s, started going for that kind of like real gritty mm-hmm. kind of like based in reality type of stuff. And I would also say you mentioned Without Remorse and like instantly I was like, totally influenced by Miami Vice. I yes. do love Without Remorse, but like definitely some of the the action kind of close up like felt felt like kind of influenced for sure. Yeah. A cool action yeah. great directed action movie, not a great movie, but the action mm-hmm. rips. Like the action's really yeah. fun. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of not the same thing, but kind of one thing that I was thinking about when you were mentioning kind of the way that, you know, even crime has changed. I feel like there was, you know, the, it's no, it's not the, you know, cops and robbers, everything is kind of localized, but um, 
one thing I did kind of watch last year for the first time was the Sopranos. And just the way yeah. you're talking about that makes me think of the episode where they kind of go to, um, like, uh, go to the co- the new coffee shop. And it's like, I don't know if it's like literally a Starbucks, but it's like a Starbucks. Yeah. And they're kind of like, all right, like you're, you're going to pay us for protection. And they're like, and, and the manager's like, I don't have any discretionary funds. It's got to go through corporate. How do you think corporate would feel if, for the sake of argument, someone threw a brick through your window? They've got like 10,000 stores in North America. I don't think they fill anything. What if, God forbid, it wasn't just vandalism? What if an employee, even the manager, say, was assaulted? Look, every last fucking coffee bean is in the computer and has to be accounted for. If the numbers don't add up, I'll be gone and somebody else will be here. And like, if you know, whatever you do, like, I'm sorry, this is not like a mom and pop place where you just skim a few hundred out off the register and it goes to the mobsters. It's like, (laughs) everything is so corporate now. And I think, I mean, that's kind of, that episode probably aired pre Miami Vice even, but I think kind of that idea (laughs) is still there. I'm just like, this is not like crime happening on the same block. It's like, everything is kind of corporate or international. Yeah, I know. It's, and the way that, that, that you know they're kind of touching on it in Miami Vice but like cell phones and internet and communication and the way it just like makes a global crime syndicate work mm-hmm. is because of like cellular technology and digital technology and so yeah even i think the idea of like you know kind of these traditional aspects of crime where it's like we're going to kidnap someone and hold them for ransom and you're going to do what we say and then we're going to mm-hmm. let them go and kind of like a certain amount of i almost want to say like respectability in that and now it's kind of like do what we say or we kill her, but we're going to kill her anyway. Yeah. Like it's, it's just, I don't know. There's something like, especially brutal about that kind. Cause it's like, you know, you had a deal. <laughs> yeah. yeah that, they didn't stick to the deal. They're, they're criminals, but they're supposed to stick to a deal. And, you know, I think even that kind of idea of like that heat thing of, you know, we're not so different. You and I. And like, yeah, there's a code, there's a code, there's no code anymore. No. And, and yeah. I think that's, that's, a, you just nailed it. Absolutely. And another movie that I think about, which is also much maligned. I feel like it's an Anna Swanson movie of the future is uh, Ridley Scott's the counselor. Um, but it's uh, that, that kind of movie where like when you're dealing with international cartels and you're just one individual who's getting in their way, why don't they don't care if they kill you? Like that would yeah. just kill, like if you do, if you do something wrong with, they'll just kill you. Or they'll take. That's you know, one that I've actually been in the mood to rewatch lately. Uh, yeah, I didn't uh, love the counselor when I first saw it, but I, 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 I feel, I've kind of been in the feeling lately that like maybe yeah, I needed to give it another shot. Particular reason that I could see, she, she slices off her knickers and hands them to me and gets out of the car. I asked her what she was doing, and she says, "I'm going to fuck your car." All right. The door open. So she goes around and climbs up on the hood of the Ferrari and pulls her dress up around her waist and spreads herself across the windshield in front of me with no panties on. And she's had this Brazilian wax job. Don't, don't, don't even think I'm making this up. You can't make this up, right? I mean, she was a dancer. So. She does this full split, and then she starts rubbing herself up and down on the glass. Then she leans down to see if I'm watching. Like, no, I'm sitting there reading my email. And kisses me upside down. 
And then she tells me that she's gonna come. And I thought, well, I'm losing my fucking mind. That's what's happening here. You know, it was like one of those... One of those catfish things. You know? One of those... One of those bottom feeders. You see, going up the side of the aquarium, sucking his way up the glass. I mean, it was... Hallucinatory. You see a thing like that, it changes you. That idea of there's no code. And and I think also, we talk a lot about throwback crime. You know, I think in the discourse is like, oh, it's so hard to do a movie in the digital age because of X, Y, Z. And it feels like Miami Vice is just like, nah. Like, it just goes, it just goes, no, of course, like, we've got cell phones, we've got cell phone cameras, we've got, we're going to hack in, we're going to hack into, you know, or, or people are going to have cameras that are like at remote locations so they can see what's happening in different spaces. And, you know, Jose Euro with the whole, like, I can see what's happening in the trailer and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to explode the bomb or like, he doesn't realize that they've, they've infiltrated. And as soon as he types into the right camera in this, what you imagine is like this whole network of safe houses that he has really gnarly bad shit going on at, he can just like dial a number on his keyboard and, there's the camera of the, of Trudy being released um, from from um, from capture, and then he can execute that bomb that blows the whole trailer to smithereens. And I feel like this movie completely embraces that. Like it it has to be cell phones, has to be email. There is global tracking. There's all this stuff, and it's like you just have to have people who run the counterintelligence that are undermining that sort of thing. And I I even see that later with like, um, uh, you know probably the best bond movie in the whole franchise being skyfall of like having to your counter your ability to counterintelligence is never to carry your cell phone it's to carry a radio and a gun that has no tracking so that that's all you can have like if you disengage with technology i feel like this movie plays that game really well of like we have to manipulate we have to do counterintelligence and then that influences varieties of that later and i think that that's how you do it it's like you know it's a, it's always counterintelligence, which is such a fun phrase, and I feel like that's popularized so hard in this movie. I we don't need to do it now, but at some point we're going to need to come back to that claim about Skyfall that is not correct. <laughs> <laughs> what's that? No, well, fine. It's good. It's 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 good. Okay? okay, it's not the best. Okay, I what's said, the said counterintelligence maybe. on the best bomb? Yeah, yeah. What's the best bomb? Movie? Is it okay, Casino Royale? See, see, it's it sounds like such a cliche to say it's Casino Royale, but I really do think it is. Yeah, look but at like, this. I don't know, like Skyfall's top ten, I guess. Like, <laughs> I you know guess. what? It's it's no it's no Honor Majesties. It's no Golden Eye. Like, you know, it's fine. Look, this it's is a conversation even, for another time. Second, it's not even the second best Craig, in my opinion. Oh my god! Okay, oh, okay, okay. No. Fighting words. They're fighting that, that's, words. This is this is kind of going back to what Katie, what you were saying about like only positive hot takes. You know, what? I'm not going to talk about Skyfall. I'm going to talk about how Quantum is seriously oh. underrated. Okay. That that's a um, third that's a third eye movie. Um, but uh, yeah. yeah, so it's. <laughs> Yeah, no, so I, I feel like, but yeah, I just, you just see the fingerprints, right? Like, and, and, and James, James Bond as a franchise is a sponge of like anything mm-hmm. that's happening yeah. in, oh, in, yeah. in pop culture. Like anything that's happening in pop culture, if it's like Star Wars, it's got to make Moonraker. Um, uh, like, parkour. It, yeah, I was like, going to say parkour. parkour and, yeah, yeah, anything, par- anything cool that happens will be in a James Bond movie two years later. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh, poker's like big. We we need to like do the movie about yeah. you know Texas Hold'em. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, no, it's it's such a funny thing, but yeah, it's such a sponge. But uh, that's that's what I'm finding. The more research that I do on man as a fan of his work and like people that are influenced by him, and even just really influential directors like Fincher, for example, um, you know, whatever the public reaction is to their work, is often 
immaterial because it seems like regardless of what public opinion is, the people who are doing the craft and filmmakers themselves are so impressed and enamored by the techniques that are used that they then co-opt them into their own style. And then later on you yeah. see these films where you're like, like bleeds into the culture. Yeah. Bleeds into the culture from other people. Using yeah. From similar the creators. Techniques. Yeah. From the creators. And then so later it's like, Oh no, I loved X. And people are like, oh, I didn't like Panic Room. And then, like, people later are like, I love Panic Room. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're filmmakers. And so they're then taking some of those techniques of their own films. And you're like, oh, okay, well, everyone loves that, I guess. I guess, yeah. you know, it, it's a really it's a really funny thing. I think what you were saying about all the digital stuff within a crime movie, I mean, obviously, I think that man in these late, in this past decade, like, obviously, he and more, he's interested in new technologies whether it's filmmaking techniques or digital cinematography or 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 how it functions within the story like black hat and mm. having this film i mean black hat has so many shots of servers i was like <laughs> it was driving me insane i was like i can't i can't um but uh you know and and obviously that movie has not been reappraised in the same way that that miami vice has although it's probably coming it's, it's i think it's coming i, it, I think black hat rules people are really trying and look yeah <laughs> anna's on the forefront she is fighting no i really um uh, and so was bilga I think. A, a friend of, a friend of the shows that you guys have probably heard i know katie's spoken to like Stu coot who's a yeah. big part of the shows Stu Stu says a funny line sometimes he's like you know i don't want to kink shame you i don't want to yuck your yum he says <laughs> i don't want to yuck your yum and yeah. for all those people out there who really dig black hat like Great. I'm so happy. The right. only problem you're ever going to have with me is some people who start going Black Hat's Michael Mann's best film. And I just no, want to no, no, no. and, 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 and then you just need to go you need to really stop and have a shower and have a rest because something's <laughs> wrong, okay? You're like have a glass of water and think about what you just said. And just think about what you just said because and, and that's my only challenge ever is when you start saying that it's like then you've got to put it against heat and you've got to put it against the insider, which I think in my mind, heat and the insider are two absolutely sublimely perfect movies. And at a, at a time in my life, I, I, it, in some respects, it's indistinguishable between like heat was always my favorite, but like the insider is so close that it's like, I say it's like a Tom Noonan hair away. Cause it's so, Tom Noonan's hair is so thin from Manhunter. It's like, it's like that thin <laughs> between those two perfect movies. But then also you've then got to contend with Miami Vice, which, we, of course, the three of us love and people listening love that movie. I love Thief. Collateral. Thief, I love collateral, collateral. Yeah. I'm wearing- Manhunter is my number one. I'm going to yeah. show you guys. I'm wearing a Collateral t-shirt that's the Akira <laughs> uh, poster. And it oh, says, that is great. Tom Cruise on it and it says, yo, homie, that my briefcase <laughs> on top with a yellow cat. Okay? This is the coolest t-shirt I love t-shirt it. I, um, I love that shirt. <laughs> I'm sending you both the link afterwards where, where yes, I bought it. So thank you. And I'll even put it in the description on the show notes for people to find because it's the coolest thing ever. But then you've got this amazing crop of like, we've done last 12 minutes of the Mohicans. You've got last of the Mohicans, if that's your kind of jam. Manhunter. Yeah. I've been rewatching it recently with the Criterion Neo Noir section. It's such a stunning movie. Yeah. Um, you know, th then you've got. The Keep. Uh, th I mean. And Meg Shields, my favorite person to talk to The Keep about. The Keep, a wild and weird movie, but like that's in that next tier. And I just think that Michael Mann is such an amazing filmmaker for such a, what is ultimately like a kind of short-ish filmography. Yeah. It's so hard for people, like it's, it's, it's so hard for me to be like, you really think the one with, in my, in my mind, Chris Hemsworth 
as in his most charmless performance, He's not good. doing the worst accent of all time. Like <laughs> all I, like even just at a foundational level, you fix that movie by at least like a star. If you say, make him an Australian hacker, it's an international movie. Yeah. Let him be charming. Can anyone yeah. let Chris Hemsworth be charming, please? And then like, they, mean, found, they found the out. The brothers. They found out how to do it. You know, they did it with the Thor Ragnarok was like his like yeah. peak charm. And they're like that funny, yeah. charming Australian accent. And, uh, and you know. The, um, I think yeah, he's so, actually really good in uh, Ghostbusters. Oh, yeah, he's great in that. In he's, he's great when he gets to be funny. When he gets Chris to be funny. Hemsworth's act, early accent work, I just need to touch down on this a little bit. In, in Black Hat, he is taking me in a single sentence. He is taking me from Boston to Brooklyn to Chicago. Yeah. He is taking me all over the United States in a single sentence. And I'm just that, like, that's the world. It's so international. But, what but, crime is all over the place. And so is the, the accent. accent. But no, he the, like the, studied like Mike Ditka and the Affleck <laughs> brothers for his accent work. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, why is this happening? Every word is changing. But, anyway, I just, this is my little bugaboo. Is no, Chris with accent and black hat. <laughs> I think you're spot on because I would have loved, and what I actually think, and and this is, you know, you never want to correct your, your great creative people, but I, I feel like if you had something go, Hey, make him Australian because it's really on brand to have an Australian that is that the, the Americans capture an Australia as a government bends over to let him be imprisoned in America and doesn't extradite him back to Australia for a crime. Right. And <laughs> I'm just like, that actually is like a really rad storyline that yeah. an Australian guy goes to MIT, gets in prison for hacking, and he's just an Aussie guy in there. And I think if you did that, the movie's a star better for me instantaneously. Instantaneously. Um, like, because, uh, you know, people, and this is where I, like, marvel at Eric Banner, because Eric Banner's parents are Europe Eastern European, and they migrated to Australia, and he's, you know, he's got an Aussie as accent, if you hear him talk normally, if you've seen the recent great yeah. movie, The Dry. But his first performance was as Chopper. Uh, mm. And so, you know, that, you know, real ochre, uh, you know, unabashed Australian. And then, like, he, his best his best movie in my mind, even better than Chopper, is Munich, Steven Spielberg's Munich. Mm. And he spent 11 months. Are we going to bring up Troy? Are we going to talk mean, about Troy? <laughs> his pecs are outstanding in Troy. His in, pecs I, I, are outlandishly the great. Is, the thing is, I, I'm sure you're right that, like, his best movie is is Munich. And I know, like, in an objective sense, that's, that's correct. <laughs> but, like, to me, it's just, like, Prince Hector. Like, I, I'm... I love Troy. That's who he yeah. is to yeah. me. But That's, yeah, I, I love him. He's great. It's not, yeah. he's so great. But I just mean, as far as the accent work goes, mm-hmm. like the accent work that he's able to do there, I just feel like Chris Hemsworth hasn't, like didn't no. get 11 months to prepare and nail an accent. <laughs> he he just kind of, it's this awful accent. It doesn't work. And it, yeah. So that's he needs my to be big... locked in a room with Eric Bana, Tony Collette and Kate yeah. Blanchett. And Tony... like, they're all just going to do like a boot camp with him. Tony Collette. Is Not just... even Nicole is invited. Not even no. Nicole. <laughs> Sorry, Nicole. No, Nicole can only go if she's dressed like she is in the paper boy. That's when she's allowed to be oh in there. God. That same room. That's the, the accent work in the paper boy is outstanding. But no, I, I just, you know, that I think um, that's where I start to get a bit funny about the whole Black Hat reappraisal. It's like you, you can like it as much as you like, but if you, the minute you say that it's better than Heat or The Insider, you you need to lay down. You need to yeah, see you someone. You need to lay no, down. That's, that's fair. Yeah. The, but I don't oh think it, I think the thing is that I don't think it's like as bad as some people might claim, might claim it to be, you know? No. I've but heard, it's interesting I, to see like if it if like any of if it'll become more like, you know, he's pushing the the form and he's pushing like the storytelling in terms <laughs> of 
you know, technology and stuff. So I'm like, maybe no time to die will be about like hackers or something. Yeah. I, I think, <laughs> I, I think that there's a lot, there's a lot of that. I think there's a lot of that going on. And there's actually, and this is the other great Michael Mann thing. And, you know, we talk about a lot with Miami Vice of like theatrical, theatrical cut, uh, the, the director's cut, um, mm -hmm. an upcoming, I can tease an upcoming Miami nice cut of the film that we're working on with an editor, friend of ours, uh, that, um, sort of is a blend of the director's cut and the theatrical cut. Um, but we're just calling it the Miami nice cut. So we'll, we'll uh, a, a nice tease for anyone who's listening. There will be a, a future live stream event where you'll get to watch the Miami yes. nice cut with Katie and I. Um, so please, uh, um, please, uh, you know, keep an ear out on the show for, for that, um, coming soon. But That's awesome. yeah, it's, we're really excited about it. Um, but it's, it's, it's just one of those things where um, we always talk about it. And like even the black, there's actually a black hat version that I think you guys can access in the States and Canada on FX. That's a director's cut, not the one that you can see as a theatrical. And the director's cut is actually much better in my opinion. So it's so like, that's the, that's the only version of it I've seen. So when oh, I, I should say that when go. I, when I say that I like black hat, I mean that I like the, the director's cut version that yes. I've seen that, that we're not going to mention specifically how I accessed, <laughs> but you know, that that's the version that I've seen. Um, and uh, if anyone would like to give me Michael Mann's address, I'll send him 10 bucks for that. You know what I mean? Like I'll support him. Yeah. Can, so um, can someone at a, 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 someone at one of our DVD label friends, just hurry up and bring out a, a double edition of black hat. That's got both versions on it, please. Thank you very yeah, much. Let, let me buy like a Blu-ray of the, of the director's cut and I'll happily pay full price. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think kind of, I mean, I guess I think the thing with Miami Vice is kind of the, the theatrical to me is Miami Vice, you know, yeah. like we need that opening. Yes, definitely. Yeah. We definitely. need, we need that opening. We need it. I saw someone did a, 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 a question on Twitter, like, oh, should I watch the director's cut? And everyone was like, theatrical. Yeah. Must, yeah. 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 Like, yeah. I think, infected I, via I, the numb on four. <laughs> like that must open your third eye first. Yeah. yeah. Not watch the boat race. <laughs> and, and, and I think that that in the theater, Anna, that's why I was like, I'm so jelly of that screening is like in the theater when the lights go down and it's, and just, it's just like bang. that smash cut and it's just, smash cut. And it's like, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. Like it's so appetizing to do, but look, Anna, this has been an absolute blast talking to you. Thank you for um, the lovely digressions. Thank you for the, uh, the goading of getting into a Daniel Craig fight um, in the middle of the show. And thanks for your beautiful insights on the digital photography, because I think it's such a cool topic um, that we haven't had to smash through as much on the show yet, but I'm excited. I was excited to talk to you about it because of, you know, everyone at film school rejects you guys and one perfect shot. I've got that like mindset of it that some films in their perfect shotness are require the movement of cinema. Like it can't just be a, you know, photographic composition. It has to embrace movement. Like Katie said, if you do a screenshot of a plane, it's just a stupid plane. <laughs> it doesn't actually work. But uh, look, thank you so much for being a part of the show. And uh, where can people find you other than uh, at Miami Vice 2006 on Twitter? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, like you said, I'm on Twitter. I'm at Film School Rejects a lot. Um, if you're in Toronto, you can find me sometimes at the Globe and Mail. I'm around. I'll be covering TIFF this year for Film School Rejects. So um, awesome. I'll be seeing Tatane and probably some other stuff, but that's what's <laughs> on my radar. Lucky, um, you. Lucky you. Yeah, yeah. I got some stuff to look forward to. But yeah, I'll be around, you know, yelling about James Bond and Colin <laughs> Farrell anytime you want to find me. This was so fun, Anna. I love talking to you and your piece is so great and everyone go find it. It's called Navigating the Digital Landscape of Michael Mann's Miami Vice on Film School Redux. 
Uh, this That's was great. Nice of you. I really appreciate that. Yeah. And uh, we will make sure it's linked in our show notes episode. too. Yeah. We'll, yeah, link we'll, it, yeah. we'll link it in the show notes. We'll link to Anna's Miami Vice 2006. You can guarantee there's some good chat there. And uh, and we will um, try when we eventually do our uh, when we eventually do our great uh, Miami Nice screening. We'll try and get Anna along to watch the Miami Nice cut on a live stream yeah. with us as well. Can't wait. See Thank you guys. Thank you guys so much. Bye. Hi, this is Blake Howard, host and producer of One Heat Minute Productions podcast. We dive into the great and underappreciated cinematic works, often one minute or one scene at a time. Our crew of guests are some of the most wonderful filmmakers, writers, authors, and critics ever assembled. Our shows include One Heat Minute, Josie and the Podcats, All the President's Minutes, Increment Vice, and right now, Zodiac Chronicle. Check out OneHeatMinute.com or find us wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.